0: Good morning to all of you, and a uh, Merry Christmas one day afterwards. I uh, hope you had a very special time with uh, family. Special Merry Christmas to those of you who may be visiting with us today, and especially for those who are perhaps joining us online. Uh, as Pastor John said, my name is Phil Green. Uh, I was recently affirmed uh, by the membership here as an elder, so I uh, rejoice in God's sovereign plan there, and I look forward to getting to know you better in the months and years to come, Lord willing, uh, as we continue to serve alongside one another until He comes or until He calls us home. Making announcements is a necessary part of life. And so this morning's message is about an announcement. After all, people need to know what kind of things are happening at times. And you don't know things unless you happen to be told them or unless you happen to do some research on your own. So now announcements are a necessary part of life. Well, unfortunately, announcements can oftentimes be mundane and boring. Perhaps at your work, you have a daily announcement time. Uh, or kids, perhaps, you hear announcements that are bro- broadcast over uh, the school sound system in the morning. Even worse, and I can verify this, even worse, are government updates. Uh, They're really, really boring. This morning, we're going to look into God's Word at a very special announcement brought by an angel. But before we look at our primary passage this morning, I want you to think briefly with me about the various kind of announcements that are made, at least from a human perspective. Some announcements simply share information that may or may not affect you. Uh, An announcement goes out uh, that a certain street happens to be closed, or an announcement goes out that a store somewhere happens to be opening up. Maybe it's a store you like, maybe it's not, maybe it relates to you, maybe it doesn't. Some announcements reveal the outcome or the winner of a particular activity or event. Some examples would be like uh, election results. You know, election results are somewhat unique because they kind of trickle in as the night goes on. Maybe you're excited, maybe you're not. Maybe you think there's a conspiracy going on. Maybe you don't, Uh, but you just kind of listen and pay attention to what's going on. There's other announcements like, oh, say as an example, the football bowl selection show. Now, I've given up on watching that for some reason, but, uh, you know, maybe that's something that you're interested in watching but even an event like that, you kind of know what's going to be happening and people speculate what's going on. Then you've got other shows that have, or announcements that have a little bit more intensity and, and uncertainty that go with them. An example would be the Oscars or the Academy Awards. And I always remember those times where they're holding the envelope and you're speculating who's going to win Now, if you're like me, I've pretty much stopped watching the show for a lot of different reasons, part of what they oftentimes want to talk about, partly because I don't know that I really care about who the international film that was made in black and white in a foreign language on Wednesday, winner, happens to be. So I tend to just kind of wait until the very end. Uh, And I care about, you know the best film and the best actors. And so I still tune in, usually about 9.45 at night, uh, to watch some of those events, because it's interesting to hear the announcements that are made, who the winner is, and the Oscar goes to... So the announcement that we're going to look at this morning reveals to us the providential decision of God regarding promises that He made in the past. I don't have an envelope up here with me this morning that I can open up and build the suspense, but I want you to think about the suspense that Israel had been living through for generation after generation, wondering who the promised Messiah would come from. Let's pray. Father God, As we open up your word this morning, we simply ask that we would see the story for what it is and that by your grace you might allow us to, in a sense, put ourselves back now again in this particular time, in this particular situation where your people are longing for the coming of the Messiah. They're looking forward to you carrying forth the next step in your promise. Young girls that are growing up wondering if they might be the one who would have the privilege of bearing the Messiah. Father, it's good that Your people depend upon You. And so help us to learn this lesson, and let us also then learn the great lesson that You are a faithful God who is working out Your promises. And just as Israel could trust You, so we today can trust You and trust Your promises. And just as they look forward to the first coming of the Messiah, Father God, we long... For the return of our great Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's in His name we pray. Amen. Turn with, you, turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. So if you have your Bibles with you, otherwise there's Bibles uh, in the seats in front of you underneath. To Luke chapter 1. And as you're turning there, let make a few other comments about announcements. As with all important announcements, you have to understand and appreciate the historical setting to really understand the significance of the announcement. I mean, you can understand the words, but to understand how significant it is, it oftentimes is important that you really understand the context. As an example, maybe you're familiar with that classic photo of a U.S. sailor embracing and kissing a total stranger. She happened to be a dental assistant when victory over Japan was announced in New York City's Times Square on August 14, 1945. It's an iconic picture, and you can just tell by the activities going on in that picture that there was excitement going on. But you really miss the significance of the depth of that joy If you don't understand the incredible cost, the sacrifice that was being borne by an entire nation during World War II, that sailor's life was no longer in danger. Hope had returned. And there was excitement there in that. So here in Luke chapter 1, it's important to understand the context of what we're going to look at. We find here in Luke 1 a teenage girl living in a small village in an obscure location in Palestine. Nothing, nothing about her is extraordinary except for God's plan for her life. This young girl, whose name was Mary, loved and worshipped Yahweh, the one true God of Israel. And Mary knew the great promises that God had made to His people in His Word. The promise that someday the seed, the descendant of the woman, Eve, would bruise the head of the serpent. God had promised that in Genesis 3. Mary knew that someday a prophet would come, like Moses, who would know God and know God's plans intimately, And Moses said that the people to whom that prophet came should listen to him. They should pay attention to what he has to say because his words would be important. That came in Deuteronomy chapter 18. And as we'll see in a few minutes, Mary knew that someday, someday, a son would be given and that the government, all rule and authority and power, would rest on his shoulders. She knew that. A multitude of young girls in Mary's generation must have been wondering, when, Lord, when are you going to do this? Not just in Mary's generation, but for 20 or 30 generations, young girls and the prophets who happened to come along during that time had been wondering when. When, Lord, are you going to fulfill your promise? I know someday it will happen, but when? When would the envelope be opened and a young girl told? And the promise of the Messiah goes to this one. And that's what we see here in Luke chapter 1. Look with me in verse 26 through 28. Luke 1, 26 to 27 were introduced to the Chosen One and to her background. It says this, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary." in the sixth month, refers to the sixth month of pregnancy of Elizabeth, the wife of the priest, Zechariah. She's pregnant with John, the future Baptist. Now he was a Baptist, not like we're Baptists. He was a Baptist because he baptized people. John the baptizer is probably maybe the better title for him. but But Elizabeth is in her sixth month of pregnancy with John. And we see here in this passage a specific named angel, Gabriel, is sent from God. Now if, you don't, uh, if you're not aware of this, we're first introduced in the Bible to the angel Gabriel approximately 535 years before this event, when this same angel, 535 years before, is sent by God to the prophet Daniel, to explain to him the vision that God had given to Daniel regarding the coming world powers. He's told about the future Medes and Persians and the Greeks, and he's even told about other world powers that would rule in the days to come. This same angel, Gabriel, is also the angel who appeared to Zechariah in the temple foretelling him of John's conception and John's future ministry. That's found earlier in Luke Chapter 1. Well, in this section, Gabriel is sent to the region of Galilee in Palestine, to the city of Nazareth, to a special young woman. She's described here as a virgin. Probably, based on the culture of the day and how they did uh, when people got married at the time, probably 12 to 15 years old. Not very old. Betrothed, it says, to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And that is significant. Joseph and, in fact, Mary herself are from the house of David. A house. It's a physical descendant of the King David, part of his clan, if you will. The house of David. Anyone can start a house in this sense of the word, all you need to do is have a family. Most of my house is with us here this morning. Uh, I was looking forward to hopefully all of them being here. didn't work out because of work for one of them. Um, But if your house is all in one place and something happens, your house can be destroyed from that standpoint. Again, it's not a physical place that we're talking about here. It's your family. It's your clan. It's your dynasty. You can destroy a man's house by killing all of his physical descendants. And likewise, a house remains as long as there's any physical descendants remaining. And that house then can continue on and endure. And that's what we see here with Joseph and with Mary. They were physical descendants of King David. And that was critical. For God's plan, because He had promised that a descendant from David would ultimately rule and reign and be the Messiah. So this concept of house is going to be very important as we go through this morning. And again, we're told at the end then of these two verses that this virgin's name was Mary. We go on, verses 28 to 30. We see the general greeting of Gabriel to Mary. He comes into her and he says, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. She was greatly troubled by the saying, tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Favor with God. Mary is clearly startled, troubled, confused, Scared by this encounter. And twice, Gabriel here uses a form of the word favor. You are the favored one. And God has found favor with you. The root word in Greek here for this is our Greek word charis, which is grace. God is extending His grace now to you. Grace again is undeserved, unearned favor from God. Again, not because of anything that Mary did or how she earned it, but simply because of God's gracious, providential wisdom, He has now chosen this young maiden. In verse 31, Gabriel shares the heart of his message to Mary. But, and I want to challenge you here just for a second, maybe tweak your thinking a little bit at this moment, but be careful, Mary may not be thinking, at least not quite yet, what you and I think. We know this story so well, it's hard to put ourselves into her context as a young virgin betrothed to Joseph what this angel may be saying to her. Because he says in verse 31, And behold, you will conceive in your womb And bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Jesus. Obviously, the most significant name to us today, but it was fairly common uh, in their culture. And she's told now, as a young maiden who's engaged, that she's going to bear a son someday. Again, stop at this point and consider what Gabriel has said and to whom he has said it. A young virgin engaged, probably means then that within the next year or sometime, she will be getting married to Joseph. Gabriel has just said that she will conceive and bear a son. And if you were Mary, what else would you want to now know? When? <laughs> I mean, what time frame now are you talking about that I might actually bear a child? Are, are you simply telling me That looking forward, once I'm married, Joseph and I then will have a son and we're supposed to call his name Jesus? Or is it immediate as we find out that it will be in a second? You know, Pastor John's been leading us through the study in Genesis. We've even seen recently when God appeared to Abram and said that Abraham, he would become Abraham and that Sarai, his wife, would be Sarah and that they would bear a child within a year. That promise had been given to them, but it looked forward to that event actually happening, some sense, naturally, supernatural because of their age, but something that was bound to happen. Perhaps Mary is considering it that way, that you're simply telling me now something that Joseph and I will be doing together sometime after we're married. That could be. But now the big announcement's made. By Gabriel To straighten out that thinking, if that had been in her mind. And for effect, I'll pause and say, envelope, please. <clears throat> because the promise of God is about to be revealed. Verses 32 and 33. Gabriel goes on. Whatever it was that Mary may have had in her mind, he says to her, this son now, this child that you're going to bear... He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. (laughs) Now it's clear. This is not going to be the son of Joseph. The angel has made that abundantly clear. He will be called, this special one will be called the Son of God. The Son of the Most High, Exalted One. And he clearly says that the Lord God will give to him three important things. Notice these. The throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be No end. The throne of David, the house of Jacob. Now, keep in mind, as I said earlier, anyone can establish a house. It's simply your family, it's your descendants. And so we'll see the phrase at times, the house of David. And here we have the house of Jacob. Jacob obviously was a pre ancestor to David. And so it's a larger family that comes from Jacob, all of Israel. But that's focused down later for us when we see the house of David being described. And then finally, this kingdom, his kingdom will have no end. And obviously, kingdoms and thrones tend to go together. I mean, you, you have a throne because you rule over a kingdom. Uh, and your kingdom oftentimes has that seat of authority, whatever you want to call it. Uh, that would be looked at as that throne. And then finally, this house idea, this dynasty. So remember those three significant things, throne, house, kingdom. We may not pick that up as importantly as they would have in their time because they knew what they were looking for. Well, the story here goes on, verses 34 to 38, where Mary gets her questions answered now by Gabriel about this child that she's going to bear. And Mary said to the angel, well, how would this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. Note, for nothing will be impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word and the angel departed from her. Mary's response response here is amazing and demonstrates great faith and confidence in God despite the severe challenges that she's going to face. I mean, how is conception possible since she's a virgin? And clearly this will not be the son of her betrothed. Does that mean somehow there's another marriage? There's another person? How is this going to happen? I'm a virgin. Gabriel lets her know that it's the Holy Spirit who will overshadow her, envelop her, if you will, and supernaturally cause this conception to occur in her womb. Elizabeth, being pregnant, will demonstrate that nothing truly is impossible with God. Mary's humble, obedient response is, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be according to your word. If that's what God wills, I'm game. She says that despite the shame that might come from some who would see her as being pregnant out of wedlock, the risk of physical harm that could come to her if some wanted to institute the Old Testament law Mary, though, is willing to be the human vessel of the infant son of God. I said earlier that that with important announcements, it's critical that you understand and appreciate the historical setting to really understand the significance of the announcement. And we read this and we see some things that are significant, but we probably don't understand again the great significance of it. Now, if the announcement that it's made is fulfilling prophecy, it's doubly imperative that you understand what's initially prophesied. The the whole point of prophecy for us is to see that we have a faithful, gracious God who makes promises and keeps promises. That's why prophecy is given to us, so that we have confidence and we know that He's ultimately in control of all of this. And this is the fulfillment of prophecy. Mary knew that this baby that the angel Gabriel said would be born would be the promised Messiah of Israel because Mary knew the covenant promises that God had made with King David about his future son. We need to know those things as well. So turn with me to the Old Testament, if you would, to 2 Samuel chapter 7. Second Samuel chapter 7. And if you're not sure where Second Samuel is, there's this amazing thing in your Bible called a table of contents. It's really nice to know. It's in the front of your Bible. Look it up if you need to find where 2 Samuel is and go with me to 2 Samuel chapter 7. And be amazed with me as Mary would have been about the fulfillment now of this great promise that God had made 2 Samuel chapter 7 begins by speaking a little bit about King David and how God in His grace and mercy had given King David rest over their enemies. And at this point in time, David then wants to, in a sense, kind of return the favor, extend a blessing back to God by building a temple for God. We're going to pick it up in verse 4. 2 Samuel 7 verse 4. But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan, Nathan the prophet. And so now God's going to speak to Nathan and tell Nathan what to go tell David. And he goes on in verses 5 to 7. Go and tell my servant David. Thus says the Lord, Would you build me a house to dwell in? I've not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day. But I've been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. They had the tabernacle. They didn't have a physical dwelling or a a permanent temple. Verse 7, In all places where I have moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? God tells David that he doesn't need a house. He doesn't need a physical temple. Not that one's not going to be built. It's just not a priority at this stage and has never instructed Israel that they need to build him a house or a temple. God's going to go on now in the next few verses and make promises about His blessing upon David and upon Israel. So notice verses 8 to 11. Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you would be prince over my people Israel. And imagine that contrast that David saw in his life. He went from following sheep, literally following sheep, to leading the people of Israel. That was the grace of God. Going on to verse 9. And I have been with you wherever you went, and I have cut off all of your enemies from before you, and I will make you a great name, like the name of the great ones of earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them, so that they may dwell in their own place, and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly, from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel." and I will give you rest from all of your enemies. So again, God promises these great blessings upon David in his reign. And at the very end of verse 11, through verse 16, God now promises to do something absolutely wonderful and amazing for David. Now I want you to note something here. It is not uncommon for prophecies to have dual fulfillments. We're gonna read through the rest of verse 11 down to 16, and I'm gonna comment a little bit about ways that it was fulfilled. And oftentimes you see with prophecy a near term fulfillment and a future, long term, ultimate fulfillment, often by the Messiah. So we will see here near term fulfillments, long term fulfillments by the Messiah in verses 12 through 16. So he ends verse 11 with this amazing phrase. And keep in mind, David's been wanting to build a house for God. God turns the tables and says at the end of verse 11, Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. Now the Lord's not going to build him a fancy house. That's not the point. I'm going to make you into a house, like the dynasty kind of house, that we're talking about. I'm going to preserve your clan forever. The Lord will make you a house. Going on to verse 12. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, when you ultimately die, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. And God faithfully does exactly that. David's physical son, Solomon, takes over as king. And God blessed and established his kingdom. But there's a future, future son of David who is coming, the Messiah. And it's his kingdom that will be established forever. Near term, far term. Verse 13, He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of His kingdom forever. Again, Solomon would build a house, a temple for God, and God through the Messiah would establish His throne forever. But in a perfect way, the Messiah would build a house, a dynasty for God through His people. Hebrews chapter five uh, chapter three verses five and six says the following, and just listen to this. And this is now given, talking about Moses compared to the Messiah, and how much greater the Son would be than Moses the servant. Says this. Now Moses was, was faithful in all of his house, God's house, as a servant for the testimony of those things which were to be spoken of later. But Christ was faithful as a son over his house, whose house we are, if we hold fast our confidence and the boast of our hope firm until the end. We truly who follow Christ are the house of God. And God promised through this son of David that he would build a house and he would reign over that kingdom that He would establish forever. Going on in verse 14, I will be a father to Him, and He shall be to me a son. True of Solomon, especially in his early years, and yet, of course, we know that's true of the Messiah Jesus as well, and that, that intimate, special relationship of father and son that was so unique uh, that even we wrestle with sometimes and, uh, and appreciate he will be to me a son. He goes on in verse 14, And when he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, and with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. Now this obviously is truly exclusive to Solomon. Christ was perfect, never committed iniquity. But for Solomon, because of God's gracious provision in his life, God said he would not reject his descendants. He would not judge them as he had judged Saul previously. And then he goes on in verse 16. And here's the great promise that we call the Davidic covenant. And your house, again, still talking to David about David and his descendants, Verse 16, "And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever." House, kingdom, throne." Significant. Mary knew that when Gabriel came to her and spoke of house, kingdom and throne and the promise that was being fulfilled through the Messiah. Finally, and to kind of wrap things up for this morning, we should also know that God repeatedly emphasized throughout the Old Testament the promise of an everlasting house, dynasty, throne, and kingdom to the Messiah. Isaiah chapter 9, let me read it for you. And in fact, if you've got your bulletins with you, it's on the front cover of your bulletin. And so you can just simply follow along there if you'd like to look at these verses Verses 6 and 7 are included there. Verse 1 and 2 says this, But there will be no gloom for her, her who was in anguish. In the former time He brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time He has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee, Galilee of the nations. The people who walk in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. No coincidence again that Gabriel goes to Galilee, promised by God to be the place where the light would shine. And on your bulletin it says, verses 6 and 7, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. The promise of a physical human son who would be the Messiah and the government shall rest upon His shoulder. Think of that. Worldly government, rule and reign. The fate of the world is His burden to bear. And someday He will rule over all of it. Interesting to note that before this one bears the weight of ruling and reigning, the Messiah would first bear the weight of a cross and He would bear the sins of mankind on that shoulder. And His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The multifaceted character of God, intimate as a counselor and yet the Mighty God who controls the universe. He's the everlasting Father, the source of life. And we know from the New Testament that all things were created through Christ. He's the everlasting Father, but also He's the Prince, the Son, who would bring peace. Verse 7, Of the increase of His government and of peace, there would be no end. And on the throne of David and over His kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. Again, the rule and the reign of the Messiah will be an eternal rule and reign with no end. And specifically, here again, mentioned the throne of David and over his kingdom he would rule. And again, the dynasty, the house of David, therefore would live on forever. And how is this done? The end of verse 7. The zeal, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is not done by man. This is not man's plan. It is the zeal, the passion, the determination of the Lord of hosts who will accomplish all of this. Finally, again, just one other verse that I want to read for you. Psalm 45, verses 6 and 7, quoted for us, again in Hebrews, chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, again describing the superiority of Jesus, he says this, "'Your throne, O God.'" And we're going to tell because of later on he talks about the God of this God. So here he's talking about God the Son. "'Your throne, O God,' speaking of the Son, the Messiah, "'is forever and ever, the scepter of your kingdom.'" is a scepter of uprightness. You have loved righteousness and you have hated wickedness. Therefore, God, God the Father, therefore God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond all your companions. What an amazing, amazing announcement Gabriel makes to this maiden. As I said earlier, that Mary knew that this baby Gabriel said would be born would be the promised Messiah because she knew the covenant promises that God had made about David as his future son. So let me bring it up today into our modern time and let me ask you as we close. Do you know, as a follower of Christ, hopefully, do you know the covenant promises that God has made to those who acknowledge their sin, their need for a Savior, and who turn in faith to this Son who was born in Bethlehem and fall at His feet, fall at the feet of the Savior who died at Calvary. Are you confident about those promises? Because, again, all prophecy is given so that we would be confident that this same God will accomplish His purposes. They were looking forward to the coming of Jesus. Are you? Are you ready? Are you His child? And if not, I urge you this morning to come to Christ, confess your sin, acknowledge that He is the great promised one, that His kingdom is coming and that you simply want to be a part of that. Let's pray. Father God, we do come before you this morning and we thank you for your great faithfulness, not only in fulfilling these wonderful Old Testament promises about the coming of the Messiah, but we thank you that you are continuing to fulfill your promises again in Christ. Father, may it be that all of us who are listening know Christ. And if there are any here who do not, if there's any who are hearing this message at some time who are unsure about their relationship with Christ, Spirit of God, open their minds, open their hearts to see who Jesus really is, to come to Him and repent and acknowledge their sin, turn to Him as the only source of salvation, grant them forgiveness. Father, we love you and we thank you that you are the great, faithful God. And it's in your son's name we pray.